Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show, but before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com, where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. When we hold on tight, it's it's this. I, I think about this all the time. If if you hold sand in your hand, you just let it be, it will be. But you close your hand, you try to grip it, you try to control it, you will lose all of it. Mm. 
And and to me, the thing that I've discovered is control. You can control what you can control. Let's be very, very clear about that. But the the other pieces, the outliers in your life, your story, your journey, the more you try to control variables that you cannot control, the more disastrous your life becomes. Now, I think one of the things that I feared most looking at this through my own scope and my own lens is the identity of playing the role of victim, the identity of playing the role of corporate guy, the identity of playing the role of, you know, six foot four tattooed dude, like whatever that was, those were my identities. Letting go of those identities and just allowing fluidity, which I think is a really beautiful way to phrase this journey, allowing fluidity to be the thing that actually is my life set me free. However, getting there, that in its own right was a journey. Mm. How did you get here? Yeah, so I uh, so I did door-to-door sales my whole life, which I'm going to kind of run the analogy of kind of this carnivore hunter 1099 entrepreneur type world and it helped me because I, I think a lot of people take the w2 route like i sold curbs through high school then i did alarm sales in texas then i did solar sales you know and and so i've always had to eat what i kill and then i started to realize life is much more that way than you think in all aspects whether it's fitness family relationship like wh- whatever it is it's like every opportunity you want and to get to me where I'm at, where I've, you know, got a lot of money and have a good life and, you know, have a cool b- couple of businesses and um, is being willing to go knock the door. It's just going to be and say, I want to start a company. I'm going to go knock the doors and figure out how to go start the company. Or, I want to go build an app. I want to go f- knock some developers doors and figure out what which ones are good and sell them on discounts and pay them and figure it out. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a resourceful human. And, you know, so I. I I think a lot of times people are like, oh, how did the successful become successful? What they don't see, they see the highlight reels. Like we see the, you know, the ESPN top 10 plays and this and that, but they're not showing the workouts that these guys are doing day in and day out in the gym twice a day. And they're just like showing the, the, the sweet dunk or the sweet touchdown pass or whatever. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I keep knocking doors every freaking day. Like I'm, I'm constantly out there grinding and saying, Hey, how do I go create the life that I want and then find equanimity and like an equilibrium essentially between that like achievement where I'm like, I'm going to go freaking chase after some awesome goals and, and do some cool things like writing books or, or, or selling big clients. And, you know, like yesterday we, we made a ton of money selling in this conference and it was like, that was a goal of mine. I was like, I want to hit this number. And, um, but I've been chasing that for a while, you know what I mean? And, you know, then, there's the element of alignment where I've watched myself get down the wrong path. And so that's taken some cool pivots where I've gone through divorce and I've had, you know, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars with the wrong people and partners and had the moments of trials and, and just smackdowns, you know what I mean? Like everybody else, like they, a lot of people look at me and they're like, Oh, you're the privileged white kid that grew up in park city. And I'm like, no, I, I, my parents didn't give me shit. like, yeah, I grew up in a really, cool environment that was not the typical you know grew up in brooklyn in the bronx and had no money like but my parents had to teach me how to work and then i had to go through life's experience to get where i'm at you know what i mean i I think a lot of people get handheld to a certain point and then at some point they get like dropped off and then it's like oh crap i gotta like i have to do some stuff and i think that school of hard knocks that i went through my whole career 
gave me that resilience of getting knocked down, getting back up again, getting knocked down, getting up back up again. And just that resiliencedness taught me how to go achieve what I, what I want. I had the honor of getting to meet your parents uh, at the event that you held. And I asked your dad a question. I don't know if you know I did this or not. I asked your dad a question. I said, why are your children so successful? And success is relative, right? Let's, yeah, yeah. let's be very clear about that. And he said, because I let them fail. Yeah. He was the guy that was willing to be like, yeah, like I, I remember buying my first house. My dad was a broker. And I'm like, hey, dad, can I use your brokerage and just keep the commissions and buy a house? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, will you co-sign on the loan? No. <laughs> he's like, call a realtor and let them get their commission and it'll pay, it'll pay for itself. Because if you get a good realtor, he's going to, you know, find the right deal and negotiate and pay for himself. I was like, well, and I had to go find a realtor on the internet, ended up getting hosed on the realtor. He lied to me a bunch of bunch of stuff. And I got kind of got into a bad situation on my first property. I was like, but then I'm like, okay, I, I went through that and I was resourceful and I figured out how to get financing without having, you know, I was a 1099, needed two years of tax returns. Like I had to figure out how to go get my first house where... You know, I watch parents today afraid to let their kids fail. And I'm like, thank you. Like, I literally sent them a message three days ago and said, I really appreciate, like, how you just held space, watched us get our faces kicked in, and then loved and loved and loved us regardless. You know what I mean? On the wins, they love us. And on the dark moments, they loved us. And it was always love. That's powerful. What, you know, being a father, having a family... What is something that you thought parenting was that it actually isn't? Okay. So I've had this moment of like, I thought parenting, you know, you, you see why parents kind of get depressed as the kids move out and they're like, it's so sad. It's so this. And it's like, oh, they don't love me anymore. And I'm like, I, I kind of had, that was the mentality of like, oh, like I'm their parents like forever. Like I, you know, and, and I am, I'm like, I'm their dad. Like that won't ever change biologically. I'm their dad. But I think we, as I've grown up and got a different relationship with my parents, I'm realizing we're all souls just in different timelines. And I just happen to steward these kids and I just have a responsibility over these kids for a short period of time in this whole eternity, right? And I'm putting them through a journey that's really small journey in comparison to their entire timeline, like their lifetime, let alone eternity. And I just have to do a good job to hold space for them. But once they grow up, they're like, even now, they're their own souls through their own journeys. And I don't control that. And I don't own that. I'm just holding space. And a lot of times I'm insecure. Like I look at my dad right now and I'm like, he needs love. He needs encouragement. He needs guidance, vision, uh, you know, challenge. Even though I'm how many years younger? You know what I mean? And I'm like, we get insecure, we get intimidated to, you know, we had a couple of our clients' parents and our employees' parents come to this conference. There's a 77-year-old dude there. There was an 80-year-old dude there yesterday. And I'm like, they're probably looking at me being like, who's this like weird little kid jumping up here on the stage and like blowing minds? You know what I mean? And I'm like, they're looking for support too. Just because they're 60 years old doesn't mean they got it all figured out. Mm. And we make assumptions of our parents and we make assumptions of our kids. And there's a reason why Christ was always like, hey, be as a little child, 
because they got things way more figured out sometimes than we think. I've been around and we won't name them, but I've been around many, many billionaires and many, many millionaires had dinners with them, been on planes with them, had them on this show, not pointing anyone specifically, just simply saying that you're right. And it's like, I often think, you know, if you make 50 grand a year, 75 grand a year and you're happy, like you won. Yeah. You know, and and Vaynerchuk talks about that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I, I was on his show, it's like 10 years ago or oh, something nice. crazy. Nice. And and I asked a question. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him because you brought this up and it's really important. And he talks about this idea of just like be happy. Yeah. Right? You, you kind of define happiness, which I think is powerful. It is kind of like living life on your terms and being around people that you love, care about and doing something that fulfills you. Yeah. And I asked, I asked Gary a question. It changed my life, actually. It's probably one of the very reasons I'm here today doing what I do. I said, Gary, how do you ask for help? So, Matt, I'm curious, like thinking about this and knowing these millionaires and billionaires and a lot of these guys who they're struggling mentally, especially you know, suicide rate and, and entrepreneurship is skyrocket every single day because people are like, I'm not a billionaire. I'm like, you're not going to be. Right. Right. How do you, how do you ask for help? Like, how do you navigate the mental of all of this? Yeah, it's a good question because I think that it is, uh, uh, entrepreneurship is a very lonely game. You know, when you're at the top, you've got nobody to talk to. And uh, it is because your employees, you're not allowed to show weakness. You know, you're not allowed to go into that office and not be like, it's going to be a great day. Let's go. And these fires are coming at you. And you just, your job is to keep them motivated and excited. You know what I mean? Because that, that is, so it is very lonely at the top, but I, you know, I, I have a lot of coaches in my life. Like I, I seriously, every morning at eight o'clock, I, or not every morning, every Monday at eight o'clock, I meet with a life coach. Um, I got business coaches for the franchising. Um, I'm, I'm hiring another coach for my, for personal, I'm hiring stage coaches right now. So I, I just believe that you got to ask for help and you got, I mean, nobody's going to do this by themselves. Absolutely nobody. And, and, uh, you know, what I keep learning is the person that I was last year that I was really good at is not the person that I need to be this year or next year. And it's, it's, it was, it was, that was humbling because I was really good at running a, a business in Pueblo. I was great at inspiring people and finding the best in them and pushing them to the next level when I could do this. But as I've started to grow, I can't do this anymore. So now I have to depend on this guy to do that. And it doesn't work the same. It's a whole different lane and system. So creating those systems is I'm getting help. Like I, I, I ask for help all the time, but I, I'm also, you know, I think that probably goes back to me being raised by a woman. Like, I don't care about asking for help. I have no pride in life. Like, I don't, I'm the easy guy that's like, I'll throw, I'll cry right here in front of everybody and tell you my life. And then I'll, and I'll go ask somebody that I just met today for help because I'm not that normal manly guy that's like, no, I'm not, you know, that's just, yeah. I'm not, you know, so maybe that's another blessing with me is like, I, I love coaches um, and, and finding people smarter than me to learn from every single day. And I think, you know, most of the people on my team are smarter than me. You know what I mean? And I think that I like, I, you know, I don't have a problem asking for help personally, I guess. So I, you know, I get as much help as I can. How has been able, being able to do that impacted your relationship with your wife and your children? It's everything, you know, I think it's, it's vulnerability. I think so many people are scared to be vulnerable in this day and age. And, you know, when you are vulnerable, you make a difference and people like everybody, there's, everybody's been through something that you've been through, not everybody, but there's so many people that you can touch, but when you when you can finally just admit that you're wrong and that you suck and that you're 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 in a you're in a hard spot, like that can change absolutely. I think change 
people's lives and my own kids. Like, you know, I, I admit when I mess things up with my wife, she needs to admit when she's messed things up with me. Like, that's not easy. That's tough. For any, any husband-wife relationship, you always want to be right. But she knows her lane. I know my lane. And communication, I think, is absolutely key to that. But yeah, it, it, it is why we are who we are. We're all very vulnerable in my family. And, and you got to be because that's how you get better in life. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And for a long time, I wasn't. I was scared. You know, it's like vulnerability is weakness. You're yeah. soft. You're you're pretty. Yeah. And, and I think that so much of this, when I go kind of trace the steps leading to today, it really just started with me sitting in rooms with people and going, this is who I am. And there's a lot of fear in that, fear of judgment, fear of shame, fear of guilt. And, you know, when you put yourself out there, you put yourself on the line, like you're, you're going to get judged. I mean, it, it's incredible to me. Like, even I could be sitting here, like I'm trying to help the world and I'll have people be like, you suck. And I'm yeah. like, cool. Who gives a shit what you think about me? And I wish that's my superpower. Yeah. Right. I just don't care. Yeah. And that has enabled me to go and do big things because it, it can be scary. 100%. You know, I, I remember I spoke and I've shared this ad nauseum on the show, but since I'm going to get into the context of something, I want to bring it up. Um, I did this pitch off for Think Unbroken to Grant Cardone at one of his boot camps, yeah. 10,000 people freaking watching. Yeah. And I remember at one point, right before we're about to go on, Grant looks at me, he goes, Hey, Hey man, you know, that graph thing. Hey, you got something in your nose. Now I have the gold nose ring, right? He goes, you got something in your nose. I look at him and go, cool. I'll get it after. Right. Just knowing he's trying to mess with you, play with you, build you. I don't think he's ever trying to knock people down. He's trying to see what you're made out of. A hundred percent. And I, I distinctly (laughs) remember that moment and being like, cool, man, I'm I'm not intimidated by you. Plus you're like five, seven, bro. You know, yeah. And so yeah. he, he's somebody that I think gets a, a tremendously bad rep. And for me, he's been a mentor that has dramatically changed my belief in self. I was shortly after winning that, somewhere in that win. No big deal. No big deal. Well, I believed I was going to. Yeah. And there, there was no way I wasn't. And Dominated that, it too. Thanks, man. Win dominated well and that was something i've talked about on the show before you have to believe in yourself to the point of stupidity like people are like that's so you believe in yourself that much and i and i have that ability because i've had to train it into myself but shortly after find out about this television show undercover billionaire now i had watched the previous season with glenn stearns and i thought it was a really phenomenal concept okay you got this guy getting dropped off anywhere america 100 bucks can he build a million dollar business in 90 days on paper, you go, that's a cool TV show. In yeah. reality, you go, that's probably impossible. And so this eccentric, crazy, billionaire, playboy, borderline psychopath, <laughs> Grant Cardone, right. lands in Pueblo, Colorado, and I'm watching the show, and all of a sudden, here's your face on my television. Yeah, I won't spoil it. If you haven't seen it, go to Discovery Channel, watch it. I'll let you tell the story. It's been out but long enough. You can spoil it. Yeah, yeah. You want. Well, been- I want you to spoil it. Yeah. So talk us through that. Just lay the framework because I want to go into this. I'll, I'll go somewhere in a second, but I want you to lay out how this happened. Yeah. So uh, long story short, yeah, Grant Cardone, uh, a guy named Lewis Curtis was dropped into my community. Um, and his, his the premise of the show, he had a $100 and he had to make a, a million dollar business in 90 days. And when he was dropped into the community, he did so many unbelievable strategies 
uh, and to your point, a mentor of mine now for sure. But he 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 met a lot of people in our community, and I was known as that idiot serial entrepreneur in our community at this moment because I I've been the one guy that's open. 10 Every businesses business. at the exact same time. So I was known for that in the community. So when he comes around saying, I'm looking for a business, uh, the community kind of said, go talk to that Matt Smith guy. Like he'll, he'll, he, he's, he'll do it with you. And, uh, and then the discovery channel came to me and said, Hey, we're doing a documentary on public Colorado. So I I'm like, okay, I'm your, I'm your Huckleberry. And they did such a great job that fake names, fake Instagrams, fake everything through this whole process. And these are like 20 guys. Um, and gals and, uh, they followed me everywhere I go. And so I think I'm the cool guy cause they're following me, but really that was all fake cause they were really following him. And the story was about him. And then all of a sudden I met this guy and they're like, Hey, this, this is a great story. So we want to put these two stories together. So they, they really played it very well, but long story short, uh, fast forward COVID, you know, we, we started from, I don't know, probably 10 days, two weeks and then COVID hit and me and Grant or Lewis at the time, were like, ah, this is fake. I'll see you back in a week, go back to California and I'll be here. You know what I mean? We didn't know how the impact of COVID and what it was about to do to our world. But right mm. before that, I wrote a check to him, you know, for $10,000. And I'm like, is he going to cash this thing, this guy that I just met? Like, I had no idea what was happening with this. Um, but then he ended up coming back during COVID and we finished off the show and we, it was a magical time. Like you said, he is, he is a, he is a, a, just a force to be reckoned with. He has... He does. He doubles down. I mean, some of the stuff that you were just talking about is is Grant Cardone, the guy that doesn't care about what anybody else thinks about him, that is on a mission and will do whatever it takes. And that was that was different for me because I probably cared too much about what people thought about it myself when I met Grant. And I think that he was a force that said, "Hey, this is going to happen." And he wasn't he wasn't going for a million dollars. She was going for ten million dollars. She was trying to ten x this stuff. Like he always says when he's on the show that he was like, "They told me a million, so I'm like, I'm going for ten million. Let's see what I can do to get ten million dollars on this thing." And it's apparent the success that he's had is because of his ability to run fast. And I always thought I was a fast runner. And then I met him and I'm like, whew, this guy runs fast, but he's always on a mission. Like there was a, there was borderline offensive conversations where we would be in a room and pitching somebody. And then he would stand here and he would be like, they're not buying. So he'd be like, okay, thanks for your time and walk out. I'm like, that was rude. That's, this is a friend of mine that I'm bringing on here. Like you don't just walk out. So we would get in a little bit. But it's who he is. He's like, he's at a point in his life. He's not here to waste time. Every 20 minutes means something. to better be moving his needle to the next level in life. And those were so many lessons that I learned on there. But yeah, long story short, Undercover Billionaire came out. I figured it all out at the end of the show. Uh, we've definitely become friends since. And, uh, you know, business partners in Wake Up Pueblo, um, a little marketing company down there. And I went to 10X for the first time that year and just blew my mind. I had no idea how big this guy was <laughs> until yeah. I went to the 10X conference. Yeah. I, I resonate with a lot of that. And when I was in my mid twenties, as I've shared many times on this show, like I hit massive rock bottom and nothing seemed better to me than the possibility of not waking up tomorrow. Right. And one of the big reasons why I've put such an emphasis on this show and the content of Think Unbroken and all the things that we do is because I know what rock bottom feels like and I know what the other side looks like. Right. What was it as an adult that you faced? Um, I allowed myself, I did not take responsibility for my life and I, I allowed myself to put myself in a constant state of self-sabotage and negativity. And I like to think of it, I mean, we've all heard the study, maybe we haven't all heard the study, but there's a study out there that talks about water and the color of water. And they did a scientific study and they like, if we talk the, to the water so many times negatively, it will actually start to change color and it, components will start to look a little dirtier and nastier versus um, if you start talking to it positively, it will get clearer. 
And so um, I wasn't really aware of how I was talking to myself, but so much of that had compiled to the point I was just in this darkness. I had talked to myself so negatively for so long. I was in this darkness, in the space where I had no self-love. I had no love for myself at all. And, and, and that's what nearly broke me. It was my responsibility to be like, hey, this is how I'm seen. Despite all the external forces that were coming at me and the things that were happening around me, it was when I actually decided to take the responsibility to be like, no, this is the way I'm thinking. And I'm the only one that's in control of how I perceive life. Um, and that took a lot to realize. But um, when I started taking that in, then I realized I could start with baby steps to changing that. And I've seen just like you probably both sides of being in the negative state and the and the hurt in the internal state of self-sabotage, but also being in a blissful state and knowing that your potential is limitless and that you are the greatest being and soulful being that there could be. Which, I mean, that's the, the question that I always think to myself is like, what does it take to give people that? And I just don't think, actually, I know you cannot create change in your life without that breakdown. Right. Because you're comfortable. Right. Because you're good. And sometimes even the breakdown, it, the, the negative self-talk, the beating yourself up, the destroying your life. Like, you go, this is my life. Mm -hmm. My life sucks. It's supposed to be this way. Right. And we convince ourselves that that's true. Right. And what I think is really unfortunate about that is there's so much potential in all of us. Yeah. How did you start to pull yourself through that? Was there a moment? Was there a pivotal moment where you were like, wait yeah. a second, I don't want this shit anymore? Yeah. Um, so my pivotal moment, I mean, I'm, we'll probably get a little heavy here, but um, I was at a place where I was so broken. I had been married and I had had a lot of devastation and betrayal in that. And I am, that allowed me to kind of get in, well, I'm not worth it. I'm not lovable. I'm not. And I was in this place. Um, and one night I was in so deep. And if you've been in a dark place where it feels like nearly impossible to pull yourself out, um, you have to recognize that there is a 100% higher power, universal power, God, whatever you believe in, um, that sees you and sees your potential, your higher self. Um, it could be even be your higher self and your intuition. It's like, no, this isn't right. Like, I got to stop this. Um, because when you allow yourself to continue to get in that dark space, it, it can nearly break you. And so I was in this space where um, I it was a pivotal moment for me. I, I was laying in the bathtub and I was just trying to calm myself because I was like, I feel so hurt and I feel so heavy and I don't even know what direction to go. And I feel like I'm not going to be here anymore. And I really, in that moment, was so dark that I wanted to slip under the water and basically drown myself. And so I... Um it, it was really hard. It's, it's, it might, I mean, my higher self, my God was like, no, this is not happening. So there was that resistance there. And honestly, that's what saved me. Hard to explain because everybody has their own personal journey. Um, but that's what saved me. And that moment of brokenness, I realized that I was in so deep. And I realized that like, this isn't who I am. Like, I'm a mother, I'm a friend. And I started getting these thoughts that weren't mine. Um, and so I know it was from, I believe in God. I know it was from my God, um, our greater source that started trying to feed those into me because 
Um, he knew that if I didn't get some kind of positivity, that I, that was going to be the end for me. Um, and so when I started to feel and see those things that I'm like, I am a mother, I am these things. And I'm like, why am I in this place where I don't see the beauty of the world around me? I don't see the beauty of life, of the people that love me, that are here for me. And I'm, I've isolated myself to this lonely, hard place. And that moment it clicked. I'm like, I am responsible like, and I don't know how I got this or what I got it, but my mess is now my message or my, yeah, my mess becomes my message. I'm, I, my, I talk about responsibility and responsibility is your ability to respond. So when your intuition or when your higher sp- uh, power is speaking to you, it's, you have the ability to respond to that. And the choice is yours. It's whether you decide to do it or not, that's up to you, but you're in control. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, I can respond to this in a, in a positive way. So I pulled myself out of the bath and um, I just sat there crying and I felt this all encompassing love for myself and I felt the light that I am and the potential that I have. And I was like, I have to do something about this. And I know I'm not in a place right now, a mental or emotional place to even be right in my head, but I'm like, what's like one thing that can help me? And um, I started with this, um, actually, it's called Healing Through Christ. It's an addiction workbook that someone had given me. And they handed it to me and said, hey, I really think you should work on this workbook. And I was always like, well, I'm not the one with the addiction, so I don't want to deal with it. Um, But uh, that was my first action step is I was like, someone gave me that Healing Through Christ workbook, and I'm going to go open it. And the minute I opened that and looked into step one, that's where my journey really started. Um, I kind of went through that whole book and then I started, I was learning so much and it was bringing so much light and joy to my life that I started compounding on that. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna go get a self-help book. And um, and then I jumped into uh, Vex King and he's a very much a self-help, ultimate love guru of positivity and light. And um, I started reading his Good Vibes, Good Life book. And like these little things started shifting my mentality and I started journaling. And I, in fact, I can actually go back to my first journal because I was journaling during the time of hurt too. Um, not as much uh, as I do now, but I was journaling and you read my journal entries and it's devastating. It, it's like it's like someone, it's not even me writing. I'm like, this isn't me. Um, and it's sad to see the same cycle over and over and over again. And then you see this shift and you're like, someone else is writing this book. These are two different books. There's a book of worry, fear, shame, guilt, hurt, um, negativity, not enough, worrisome, trying to save somebody else versus the book that you read now is like, all basically positive affirmations. It's just like, oh, I see myself. I am a light. I am. I have this potential. Um, I, I get to choose. I have the resp- the ability to respond to my life. I, ha- I can take action on my own internal uh, wellness. And so my mission became internal wellness to external results because I really do believe you can. It has to start within. You have to believe in yourself, and you have to start feeding yourself just like that water for it to start to clear up and for you to start to become a light. And when I put two pictures side by side when the per- when I was the person in that depth place, which I love that person because it built my character and that pain now connects me to others. I'm so much able to empathize and understand others because of that pain. Um, so now I have that and the person I am now and I put those two to side by side and you can just see the light. You mm-hmm. can just see it's drawn into because of the work that I put in. Um, but it's possible for everybody and, and their story might not be a pivotal moment where those thoughts start feeding in, but it might be a person or it might be um, a 
a just a walk in nature like it could be it might be their own intuition it might be higher power it might be a thought of a pet or an animal or loved one or whatever but those kind of things your intuition is constantly feeding those in and your higher power is constantly feeding those in it's what what do you decide to listen to um because that's really where you're going to get the best results yeah that's kind of and a little bit into the what i well it's fascinating how often we think that when we look at people who are very physically fit that there is together and mm-hmm. a lot of times you find that's actually not true and the opposite too when you see people who are really unhealthy and just physically from the outside you would assume that maybe their mental health is really bad and sometimes that is true and so i think that's just kind of the dichotomy of life and, and we're going to explore and, and dive into how you've gotten in this holistic approach on both sides um tell me about your earliest childhood memory and what are the things that drive you? Okay. Uh, my earliest childhood memory definitely was around uh, the age of seven. So I grew up on a farm. That's very important to know. A farm in the middle of nowhere in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Oldest of four. So all of my siblings were also my friends that we only had each other to play outside. And the neighboring farms, we had our cousins that lived uh, near us. So that was great, too. And um, my cousin Tommy was quite a bit older than me, about 14. And I looked up to him. So I thought he was like evil Knievel. I mean, wheelies on his dirt bike, the whole thing. And I just I wanted to be him. <laughs> I wanted to be him when I got older. And uh, at the age of 14, when he was 14, he killed himself, uh, shot himself uh, in the head. And it hasn't been determined either, you know, accident or on purpose, but either way, he had died. And um, my parents took me to the funeral. So that was a very impactful moment in my life. It was the first time that I've ever seen adults cry. Uh, it was the first time I saw my dad cry. I didn't. I don't know that I fully understood what was going on, uh, but I knew it was very, very big, and that was uh, that was definitely the first experience that um, is seared into my brain. Like I can, I can smell that um, the funeral parlor. I can, I can literally smell it. I remember sitting there on my dad's lap. So that would be the first event that really started to shape my life. I don't think most children understand what is happening in that moment. When, when my uncle uh, was drinking and driving and it was New Year's Eve 93 and drove his car off the side of a on-ramp, closed casket the whole nine. And so I was a little bit past eight years old and I remember all of the grown-ups being sad you know, and, and that's something I think as a child, you don't understand, you don't process. And in those moments, and like you, it's actually seared in my mind because I remember being like, well, where is he at? Like, why is everyone here? And he's not here and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, they, they often say one of the hardest things people go through as family is like losing children, right? When, when you look back at that moment, did you at all understand it? Did anyone explain it to you, like, and especially under the circumstances, or was it, what was that like? They explained it to me. Um, however, when we're in the funeral parlor and sitting up front, 
I remember my dad taking me up to the front and you got to say goodbye to him. It was an open casket. And um, he literally just looked like he was sleeping, laying there. So I, in a seven-year-old mind, just thought he was sleeping and he was going to wake up and, and come play with me the next day. So it was, that was really hard to understand. I don't think I understood it like at that very moment, but you know, as time went on and he didn't come the next day and all that. And the other, uh, and this I remember very, very specifically is there was just a little bandaid like on his neck. There was just a tiny little bandaid. And other than the bandaid, he literally just looked like he was sleeping. So I don't, I definitely don't think I understood what was what was really happening. I was more fearful of seeing my uncle and my dad crying. Mm. Like these men in my life that I thought were very, very powerful, strong men. I had never seen them cry um, and certainly not like that. So that was um, that was impactful for sure. Yeah, I, I would imagine that carries a lot of weight into relationships and family dynamics and like. Yeah. How do you, and this may be a bit of a strange question, but how did you start to reconcile that? Have you ever, is it one of those things, like even still, does it feel like part of childhood is missing or? Um, well, I can tell you that I definitely didn't reconcile anything for a very, very long time. Mm. I think I just suppressed that. Nobody ever talked about it after that. It was almost like. interesting. It was um. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say swept under the rug or anything like that. Not like he was forgotten, but it um there I don't have any memories of him ever being like really talked about after that. So it kind of like just kind of went away. Did did that change who you were? I'm absolutely sure that it has, for sure. Yeah. I um you know, around the age that he was, you know, I'm 14, 15. I just started getting into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, by the time I hit high school, I was just not going to classes and just not doing what I was supposed to do. Started experimenting with drugs, started experimenting with alcohol very young. Um, I can't say for sure that that's what, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, his, that what happened there. Um, but those are like my next memories that happen of just going down like this really, you know, bad path. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, going to college, dropping out of college, just didn't want to go. Um, it just had a lot of unresolved things going on and, um, got married really young. So that's, you know, coming from a small town, you just, you get married, you have kids, that's what you do. You know, never even question that there'd be anything else to do in life. So um, mm. luckily, stopped doing drugs, stopped drinking, got married, had kids. Uh, shortly thereafter, divorced. I mean, just catastrophe, uh, as you can imagine. Wasn't a great partner. Just uh, very uh, selfish. I would definitely say that I was very selfish. Um, really didn't have a direction of where I was going, what was happening. Yeah, my my thought when as you were saying that I was, you know, people who get married young, I feel for them in a lot of ways because I'm like, you don't even know the right questions to ask yet. Zero idea. <laughs> I had zero idea. I mean, it's funny looking back at it now. I'm like, it's almost cringy. I I I believe it look at photos and I I can't I look like a baby. Yeah. You know. Because um, you probably were. And and of course, now we yeah. live in a different world where most people aren't getting married till they're 
thirties and forties at this point, we live in a very different society. But even when I was in my late teens, early twenties, the people around me were getting married and I was always the outsider, you know, and yeah. I, even today I'm probably still the outsider <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, because like I go and I look at those, those experiences of high school and the drugs, the alcohol, the partying, the breaking the law in ways that I still don't even really talk about. It was like that felt way more normative to me than whatever was happening in the world for some odd reason. Like I felt this really interesting call. Part of it was survival, right? Like go make money, do whatever it takes. And part of it was there's a thrill in this chaos, mm -hmm. right? There's if you chase chaos and you're used to chaos, in your home, your parents, your community. And you see this so often more per capita, more people do methamphetamines in small towns than they do in big cities. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. There, there's like something I don't, I didn't grow up in a small town nor farm, but y'all have <laughs> nothing to do. Nothing. Right. What, what was it that at such a young age had driven you into drugs and alcohol? It's what everybody was doing around me. It just, I don't even I, there isn't even a great excuse. There's nothing to do. You know, it's going to the woods and get somebody to get you alcohol, a lot of alcohol, and just drink and quarry jump and do stupid, you know, and there was, that's what you did. And, and I literally looking back, um, you know, by 21, I was like, I can't keep doing this, this party in life and college wasn't working out for me. And it's like, I know I'll get married. Because that'll fix everything. <laughs> that'll get rid of stuff. That was a cognizant idea that you had? I believe it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like, maybe I, that I'll just, you know, then I'll stop doing, you know, drugs and drinking and I'll get married and straighten up and everything will be just... It's insane when I say it out loud. When I say it out loud now, today, decades later, it's like, where was the thought process in all of this? Like, where, you know, people around me were starting to get married... Again, they get married kind of young. That's just a maybe a small town thing. I don't know, or even back then. So we're talking 25 years ago. So it was a different time. And you get married and you start having babies. Like, that's just what you do. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph. 
breakdowns and to breakthroughs and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.